Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links and Look... It has been a rough start to 2023 in the MMA space, but it is fight week for the UFC for the first time in 2023. Of course, it's been a a bit of a rocky road getting to UFC Vegas 67, a new main event on the books, which we will discuss along with a whole lot more and joining me to do exactly that. Plus answer some of your questions at the tail end of the program is Mr. No Gray Area himself, the exhibition king. He is our Woody Page, the co-host of No Bets Bard, and much more, Mr. Jed Mishu. How are you, sir? I'm great. What a fight week it is, Mike. Just We're just rolling right into 2023 with the best card, maybe of the whole year, you know? It, it might hold up as the best card <laughs> all year long. We're starting off on a high note. Really, it's great, especially given the torrent of terrible shit that's happened thus far, so... Great week. Great week to be alive. Happy to be here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the energy levels are high. I think we're going to take it down a little bit because let's just no, get right into it, man. Higher. Even go higher, baby. Yes, I think we can. And we began last week's show with our reaction to the video that everybody has seen by now showing UFC President Dana White on New Year's Eve getting into shall we say, an uncomfortable situation with his wife, Anne, who was in distress during an argument at a New Year's Eve party. He grabs her wrist. She slaps him. He slaps her back, which appeared to be multiple times. And like I said, we've all seen it at this point. We discussed the subsequent interview with TMZ, who clearly was running PR alongside the UFC in this situation. Although Dana White, to his credit, didn't he did not take the incredibly easy outs that TMZ was trying to give him. And we discussed the deafening silence from the UFC, from Endeavor, 
from Turner Sports, who will be airing that stupid power slap show on TBS. It's just delayed a week. And that silence is still intact, which I'm sure we're going to discuss. But for over a week, Jed, we've had nothing. And then yesterday, unbeknownst to anybody at the UFC Apex, Dana White showed up at the UFC Vegas 67 media day. He opened things up by saying he wants the focus of the media day as a whole to be on the fighters and the fights since all of this is on him and nobody else. He said he still has no excuses. He reiterated a lot of the things he said in the TMZ interview, but he also added something he didn't tell TMZ. It was a little bit of a new wrinkle. Don't defend me. Fighters, fans, etc. do not defend me. And as we've seen, Jed, people still are defending him anyways, which is just insane to me. But still, Dana said that amongst other things, including that he's not going to get punished for this. And we'll certainly talk about that in a moment as well. He took questions and then the media day commenced with all the fighters. So, Jed... I did an immediate reaction to the scrum minutes after it ended with Damon and AK. I've reacted to it a bit more today on heck of a morning after having some time to reflect on it a bit more. But let's get your reaction to this. What was your initial reaction to him showing up, taking the questions, all of that? It was all very strange. Um, I don't know why he did it is I guess where I'll start. I don't know why he came out and said, I want the focus to be on the fighters because that's just not what was ever going to happen. Like that's very, very obviously that was not what was going to happen the moment he walks onto the dais and is getting questions. So that's just not true. Like, or it's ridiculously optimistic. I guess maybe you could view it that way. I have seen a lot of this notion and I don't want to entirely walk away from it of giving Dana White credit for meeting this head on. I think that there is a kernel of truth in that. I think that he deserves credit for not totally shying away from this. But I am I don't want the focus here. The the focus here shouldn't be on well, look, look at him, he's owning up to this. Like yes, he is, and that is a good thing, but that isn't the bulk of the problem or the conceit because at the end of the day he is still not being accountable for this. And that's the, that like, that is the, the beginning, middle and end of this story. As far as I'm concerned is the accountability for what happened. And he is absolutely right when he says, don't defend him. And I respect that he has tried to put that out into the universe. And the fact that people don't, aren't even buying it and still just doing it anyway, it makes me sweep for mankind. But the way you don't, you're defending yourself by not accepting a punishment. Like that's it. You're doing that. And that's that's not worthy of of commendation. It is not his and I, I have the quote here, whatever. What should the repercussions be? You tell me. I take 30 days off. How does that hurt me? I want to be extremely clear here. I don't think a soul alive said he should take 30 days off. I think most people who think that he should be suspended because again the framing here is important he ain't taking the days off it's a suspension those are different and it's not a month-long suspension it's six months suspension how does that hurt me well one it absolutely does like if you've been around this sport for any amount of time it would very likely bother the hell out of him for him to not actively be in charge of this company for six months or would like i that feels pretty clear that that would intrinsically bother the shit out of him then he goes on to reframe it of you know we're going through covid i could sit out what would that mean 
what what would be the problem? It's much like COVID, actually. Me leaving hurts the company, hurts my employees, hurts fighters. Bullshit. Doesn't hurt anybody. The, him leaving the company at this point in time, be it for one month, six months, a year, forever, does not bring the UFC down in any in any respect. There are arguments that it actually would elevate it, but we don't even need to get into that. It is this is a self sufficient entity at this point in time. He is not he is not a a massive value add to the point that it will in fact negatively impact employees. But guess what? That doesn't even fucking matter. It truly does not matter. The point here is not to hurt Dana White because this is not about retribution. This is about accountability. And the simple fact of the matter is him saying, I will not face punishment for this. My punishment is that I will spend the rest of my days being known as this. Bullshit. Everyone has that. Everybody that gets caught doing a bad thing has to have that. That is part and parcel of the human experience. They also face consequences for their actions. Generally, the hope is that those consequences will lead to uh, restorative justice or, or something of that matter, not, well, eye for an eye here. And that's not what I'm saying. From the very beginning, I have not said Dana White needs to get fired. Dana White uh, should be cast out into in exile or anything like that. I have called for, and many have called for, accountability. Saying I did wrong is great. That is an admission of guilt and an acknowledgement that you fucked up. But that is not accountability. And to some extent, you can e I, I can even accept the argument of, well, he's not going to hold himself accountable because that's not really how things work. That's shitty, but I, that's at least like also pretty realistic as far as the human condition goes, right? So the part that really got me of his thing is this next quote here. We've had plenty of discussions internally with Ari Emanuel, ESPN. Nobody's happy. Nobody's happy about this. You, they, they. Uh, it doesn't shock me that they've been talking about it, but they motherfucking ain't talking about it to anybody else. If Ari Emanuel and and Dana White and whoever are talking about this internally, they know that this is a fuck up. They know that this is a bad thing and should be dealt with and addressed. And they are actively not speaking or commenting it on it to the public, to the media, to anybody, and are actively not pursuing any sort of consequences for Dana White. This is so fucked, man. This is so fucked. It is not difficult what has gone on here. This is the, the simplest thing ever because, one, the counter to all of Dana's stupid-ass arguments or whatever, Ramsey Nijim and, and Ally Quinto posted exactly it, and I'm paraphrasing, like, Oh, but it was, you know, Ramsey Nation was like, yeah, well, you know, I think I would have much preferred to have just been known as a guy who smoked pot than to get a nine month suspension from USADA because that's, that's the crux of it here. The, the, the purpose of accountability is to make you reckon, truly reckon with what has gone wrong and how you can improve yourself and maybe you want to say that, well, Dana Hardy is reckoning with that and he's he's going to be a better man. And I genuinely hope that's true. Really do. Like that would be great. But it is all it, it is also uh, because th time is 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 linear and moves forward and this will happen again. And this this is not a question of if it based on this sports history and the numbers at play. It is a simple question of when when the next UFC fighter who is accused, convicted, caught on video in a domestic violence incident, when that happens, 
it will come down to Dana White is the judge, jury, and executioner of what happens to that man. And that is impossibly fucked, particularly when when there isn't nothing happened. Because if I'm trying to think of like a random dude, I, I don't even want to say it because I don't want to throw any accusations out. Pick a mid-level to low-end ranked fighter who gets caught on video doing this same thing. That guy's going to get punished. He's going to face some sort of consequences for his actions. And if he does, then it's hypocritical and it's bullshit because Dana White didn't. And if he doesn't, then everyone's just going to be like, okay, well, this is clearly an organization that's comfortable with you beating your wife. And that's it. Like This isn't – you can say my bad. I say my bad all the time. I fuck up constantly. But there's – it is a spectrum of things that that are acceptable to get – to move on from with an apology. Hey, man, uh, my bad. I fucked up dinner. I put too much salt in it. That's a shame. Like that's okay. Hey, man, fucked up and I crashed into your car, but yeah, I'm just going to walk away. This isn't me. Like that's not it. When you do the thing, you have to admit the guilt and and, and show contrition and, and face consequences. And this this isn't happening. And the fact that Endeavor and ESPN aren't doing it and clearly like are so clearly just desperate to dodge this as far as possible for no reason, for no reason. This whole thing, it's, it's getting worse. I didn't think I could hate this anymore. And yet here it is. When Dana White is the, is handling this by far the best of any person and he's not handling it well, frankly, like this is so fucked, man. It's so fucked. Yeah, I think there was not a lot good done here, but I mean, the don't defend me thing, one million percent needed to be said. He said, if other fighters wanted to talk about it and call him an asshole, free speech, all good. And like you said, he's doing what the UFC should have done, what Endeavor should have done, and frankly, should still be doing. But I'm with you. The punishment stuff, hated that response, didn't love the... You know, this is my punishment stance. Me sitting here. It's so dumb. That's punishment. I certainly did a love didn't love what you said. The how does this punish me? It only punishes everybody else if I go away. It affects the fighters, it affects the business. It doesn't affect me. I could have left in 2016. And I 100% don't agree with that because I think the UFC would be just fine without him being the face of it. He hasn't been the fa- like he's been off for a month anyways. And one person suggested he takes a month off. I'm not going to mention that because that was horrendous too. But the timing of this was very strange, Jed. And I actually thought from a sort of Dana White PR perspective, it was brilliant because the reporters, while they did the best they could, they didn't have any time to prepare for this. They didn't oh, expect he was never, to show He up. was never going to yeah. announce a, a presser to give – that was never going to happen. Dana's and, not an idiot. Yeah, it was it was it was smart because he got questions asked of him. It looks like he faced the music and there were things he said that I can respect and appreciate, mostly the don't defend me stuff because I still can't believe that in 2023 Dana White himself has to come out in in say in a live microphone, people should not be defending me on this. But I hated that whole takeaway. Very egotistical that this business can't run without me. It hurts everybody else. And I just wish one person there, and I'm not dogging on the reporters who were there because, again, they didn't know he was coming. They did the best they could. I thought John Morgan 
he's so great in that spot, not just because it's like a gimmick thing asking the first question, but he sets the table for follow-ups. And I really wish one reporter had asked him following that response of the business suffers, nobody else does. I'd love to, I would have loved to have heard him, someone ask him, why do you feel that way? Why is that the case? Is this a business thing where you have business deals in place that will only, and these companies will only deal with you and nobody else, and that's why? If that's the case, then that's the case. But I would love to know why he feels that way, Jed. And I'm I'm stunned that nobody asked him that. And again, I'm not trying to like dog on anybody who was there. It was a, sh- a stunning thing. They they expected freaking Puna Soriano to walk through the door and be all jolly and giddy. And then Dana White shows up and answers the questions. They weren't prepared for this, but I would love to know why he feels this way because by most accounts, it's just not true outside of a business sense. This is a machine and the machine's going to keep on rolling with or without him. There's a 0% chance the business sense even is even true. And that's like, uh, I wanted two more questions. Everything else, like I'm with you, got, got caught off guard. I think mostly it was well, well done. I wanted two more questions. I wanted that one to be like, explain to me how the business fails, like how the business suffers. Because there isn't, there. there's literally no answer that's correct. Because one, uh, businesses aren't, good businesses, I guess I should clarify, aren't in like entirely single, single siloed into everything. So like there, it, I firmly do not believe that there is a single business that only would deal with Dana White and wouldn't deal with anybody else. Uh, particularly after a major event happened that may, that should make Dana White unavailable because the business won't die because Dana White leaves or suspended, et cetera. So I would have just liked that as clarity because that answer was to me that answer is pretty obvious bullshit, and I would have liked the follow up to make him at least try and reckon with that statement. Even though at the end of it we would have gotten general Dana White fudgery of we well, guys don't even know the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and all this. They're just like, ah, oh, I've been doing this business. I'm the most successful fight promoter of the last thirty years. I, I know the answer would have gotten, but it it still should have been put on record that he has to address it. Uh, the I guess I actually have two other answers. The other, the second one I would like would just be uh, have has Ari Emanuel has ESPN have any of these internal discussions? What has been thrown about about how to handle this? Can you offer why they have declined to comment at all, even though they would in any other respect had this happened? Uh, again, I probably can figure out the answer. And the la- but the last one, the the one I wanted the most answered, and that I'm surprised nobody did offer is like hey what happens now where do we go from here because this is going to happen again and so the question can just be framed when the next fighter gets caught on video and or accused slash convicted of domestic violence what happens to them what does the ufc code of conduct mean because if you come out and say well, you know, we have a code of conduct and that'll, they'll be suspended and thing. But like, all right, my follow-up is why does that not apply to you? And then if the answer is we don't know, I'm like, okay, but if you don't know, you, you recognize it by doing anything to them would be hypocritical other than labeling them domestic abuser like that, because that's, that is the precedent you are setting right this fucking moment. And that's it. And if he has to at least address that, he has to at least admit that this is total bullshit or that he should take the punishment. And here's the here's the real kicker for me. The way he addressed everything else is right. That piece of it is wrong. 
and it, it it erodes my whole confidence in every other part of this, frankly, because if he's out here saying, it seems earnest, don't defend me. I can't bounce back from this. There's no overcoming this, et cetera, et cetera. Then if if Ari Emanuel, if ESPN, if these these entities who have power to wield and hold here said, hey, we took some time. We think that we need to have – we're going to suspend Dana White from uh, – his activities for six months. We're going to have him for pay a substantial fine. All of that money is going to go to domestic violence shelters and, and outreach programs. Um, we're also going to have him do a PSA or, or work with some domestic violence charities, which, which frankly should be the bare fucking minimum of what happens here. But if they said that, how can he, based on everything else that he said in this, this interview, come out and be like, no, that's unfair. That's ridiculous. And it puts him to the test. Be like, do do you really do you really feel that you fucked up and should pay consequences? Because at this point, I don't know. Several of the things you are saying makes it feel like that. But the way you are saying them makes makes it feel like, well, I don't think I should pay too many consequences. And if you extrapolate that line of thought out, because this is the this is the driving point, Mike. If you extrapolate out all of the actions and the way everybody has handled this, it is. Ultimately, that what Dana White did was acceptable. It may not be okay, but it was acceptable because that's what we are talking about. Ari Emanuel, ESPN, TBS have accepted the action that Dana White did and his response of I am sorry because they are not changing anything moving forward. They looked at that and said, not great, but okay. And that is fucking bullshit because if you want to draw you want to take this to the extreme if he if he gets caught in a ray rice situation that's not acceptable to them there's no world in which they don't do that but they are tacitly endorsing this by saying look we don't like it it would be better if this didn't happen but hmm, not going to change anything for us fucking bullshit man and down the line that's where we're at here if the way this has been handled is is to that core truth and that just drives me insane because everybody knows that it shouldn't be and they aren't going to do a goddamn thing. Yeah. And then sort of the other part of it too. And and one thing that I've talked about on Heck of Warning, I haven't talked about here is that I have friends who work in media and other sports. I have friends who have front office jobs for professional sports teams. And I've talked to all of them about this. And kind of paraphrasing, but the most consistent response that I've gotten from these people when talking about how colleagues, how fans, how even some athletes are looking at our sport, they're all saying that this is who we thought you were to begin with. And we think you're, we've always thought you're the sport. They was were kind right. Of a joke. And they're fucking and right, man. You just, you proved this, this whole thing is proved this right. One person said, and I'll never forget, I'll never forget it. He goes, we're all laughing at you. We're all laughing at you. That's what they said. And that one really stuck with me. And it's kind of, it's, it's just kind of a tough spot for everybody to be in. And again, you or I or most others in this space who have talked about this, we're not asking for his job. We're asking for some contrition, something more tangible than me just sitting at a table answering your questions is my punishment. And while I can somewhat appreciate what Dana is doing, this does not excuse the UFC in endeavor for remaining quiet. And again, we're not asking them to give me a 35 or anybody else a 35 page statement about this. Just give us, we don't condone this behavior. 
We're going to do everything that you laid out. He's going to pay a fine. He's going to sit a, he's going to sit out for a minute. He's got to work with domestic charities, domestic violence charities and outreach programs. He's got to do a PSA and he's got to do some form of counseling. Like that's that's what we're looking for. Just something saying that we don't condone his behavior. And I'm certainly not the first to say this, and I'm certainly not going to be the last to say this, but it is going to take like you said, it's going to take something else like this happening from another fighter on the roster, the response to it from everybody involved before this comes like full circle again. And what's scary about this is Dana did address what would happen if another fighter did it. And he, he said it's going to be a case-by-case basis. And he just put it out there yesterday that if it hurts the business, then how can we punish this person? It won't hurt them because they're a big star and they have lots of money, but it'll hurt the company. It'll hurt the rest of the fighters that were fighting on maybe a scheduled card that this person's fighting on. Like if we're talking about like a big star has made a whole bunch of money, you have already laid out that it affects the business, then the punishment itself is just them having to carry the weight of what they did. And Dana, he said it, I will not be able to bounce back from this. And he's a thousand percent correct. He will be known as the guy who helped build this sport and helped build the UFC to what it is today. And he will get a lot of credit for that, but he will also be known as this guy as well. And he knows that. Well, Here's Dana the knows fucking he thing can, though, yeah. Mike. I know. You can. You can bounce back from this. And that is like the big crux of all of this is that from Jump Street, I haven't said burn him at the stake because people fuck up. You make mistakes and you can bounce back from any mistakes. But these these things can be part of your story or they can be a central fucking point of it. It is if he came out and did all of the right things and he's done several good things. Again, I want to give him some credit. So this is not me just shitting on him. But if he came out and did this, Michael Vick bounced back. Mike Tyson has somehow bounced back, did something substantially worse and never showed contrition, but worked through it. And is like culturally okay. Again, that you can bounce back from this, but you have to do the fucking right shit, man. If you come out and say, I fucked up. He did that. Great. Here's how we are going to address this moving forward. That's not what that, that is the second and crucial part that is mixed of this. I, it is, you this doesn't this could have been a story that died within a month and that maybe was a blurb moving forward occasionally of Dana White came out this happened this is shitty this is bad here's how we're going to address this Ari Emanuel came out and said we have there's no place for domestic violence in our in our business organization I've spoken with Dana White we we don't have a plan yet. We're figuring out what we feel uh, is the are the appropriate measures to take here. For the time being, Dana White's going to be suspended from business duties while we figure out what what our next steps are. We would have stopped talking about this by now. If that this this is what the twelfth, this happened on New Year's Eve. Story broke on the second or third, whatever it was. This, this would be done. This would not yep. be a story right now. They came out immediately and handled this like any fucking adult PR firm would. The NFL, any adult organization could have come out and hand, like, hey, this isn't this is not a hard shot is the thing. Like this is not a difficult task to solve. It's like, all right, here's how we handle this. We would have had a, a week's worth of content out of it. This would have mostly subsided. We'd be focused entirely on UFC Vegas and the UFC 283 coming up when Dana White, you know, whenever the punishment got revealed, that would be a story. 
probably wouldn't be a huge story. It would more be, hey, let's talk about it on a segment of, all right, well, here's what they decided to levy. Do we think that's fair? Great. Cool. We're done. We move past it. When he comes back in six, eight months, a year, whatever it is, then it's, hey, this is Dana White's first event back. Dana White does the presser for his first event and everybody's kind like at that point everybody's approach would be fundamentally different because it'd be like hey you you face consequences for your actions you showed contrition you this is how you this is how you move through things when you when you make mistakes in life and so it would have been a topic when he comes back dana tell us what you learned in that year off you know tell us how this worked Link. He could have come and then he could be a comeback story. People fucking love a comeback story. And instead, it's we're mired in this shit for a month because nobody can do their fucking job and just listen to one PR firm and do do the thing. Mike, do the thing. It is such an easy ass. It the the bar too clear is so impossibly low. And they are all tripping over themselves to face first into this why is this so difficult i'm glad you said that because when people say oh stop talking about this like it's being overblown by the way it's not being overblown and the fact that a group of senators and politicians and congresswomen the california women's caucus them demanding dana's job like that is a very big deal and it's mostly because of the silence and you're right don't blame us for this still being in the news Blame the UFC for it being in the news. Blame Endeavor for being in the news. Because like Jed said, had this been handled like any other sport, and I mentioned like Mark Cuban, if this is Mark Cuban, this is a whole different discussion. We're, we're probably still talking about it because of who Mark Cuban is, if we're being honest, but just as an example. But we wouldn't be talking about this anymore, or not certainly not as much, if this was just handled the right way. And that's all we've been asking just give us say you condone it say you're not this is not what we what we do we're not happy some sort of statement some sort of fine some something just anything and this all goes away it fades away you want to sweep this under the rug you're not going to be able to but if you want it to go away and have us move on and talk about the fighters that's what you do you handle it that way and then you move on and we go on to the fights and and the stories and stuff but forever man this is all, uh, all of the coverage, all of the coverage since it happened has been about the response. Like a, a vast majority yes. has been about the response or lack thereof. And that's it. Creating more problems for yourself and you're creating them in perpetuity. Every domestic violence incident that happens moving forward, this that will be a question. Dana White, hey, fighter X got caught hitting his or arrested for hitting his girlfriend uh do you have comment yeah we're figuring out okay at at any point like how does this relate to your incident of it like it it moves forward forever because until you reckon with truly reckon with it the problem doesn't go away here's where i want to end on this though mike because i i am truly like exhausted from this story so i would like to move on i don't relish putting this out there frankly i want to be extremely clear this is not an accusation I am not saying that this will happen. I am praying desperately it doesn't. But God forbid this happens again with the same parties involved. The shit storm that will rain down will be unlike anything the sport has ever seen. If this same thing happens, and I don't, I, I don't, I hope to God it doesn't. I hope that it is never close to happening. But it, it, 
Can you imagine the PR fucking fallout if this happens again in a year, eight months, two years, ten years, whatever the timeline is? That Ari Emanuel and Endeavor are going to have to deal with if this fucking shit happens again. It is unbelievable the just cowardly response that Endeavor and ESPN and everybody has done here. Unbelievable. Yeah, there will be no bouncing back from that. That is for sure. So the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. While Dana White, the UFC, and Endeavor, and everyone else involved has had many roads they could take in regards to a response, a former UFC lightweight champion, a surging coach, has taken his own road. He has made the decision to go down a, a different road. Oh, hello, Casey. Uh, Habib Nurmagomedov is in the news, Jed. I don't know if you saw this, but multiple reports surfaced over the weekend that Habib is walking away from MMA for good. He's not coaching. He's not cornering. Nothing. And our own Damon Martin spoke with a source close to the situation. I'm pulling it up right now. And that person confirmed Habib is, quote, taking time off for his family. And essentially, it's not known when this hiatus will begin. And it's also not known when it will end. So, Jed, Habib walked away from MMA on top as the champion, undefeated, about as good as you can do it. And after the 2022 he had as a coach, it appears, at least for now, he's doing the same from that place as well. What was your reaction to finding that Habib, after just an incredible year as a coach, he's walking away. He's done. I don't know. Feels like there's more to the story that we probably will never get right it just uh, my read is that this is he's burnt out and that he wants to spend more time with his family and it coaching's hard man you fly all all over the world especially with his team he's spending so much he spent most of his 
the bulk of his adult life doing this already, but and now he's still doing it, even though he's retired. And it's, you know, maybe he's not getting into full fight shape, but he's still doing a ton. So I, I reckon, I, I understand that. Um, my guess is that this is a temporary stay, um, you know, maybe a year or two and get he'll get drawn back in. But from, I know uh, Umar Nurmagomedov uh, made some comments. I think that story's uh, about to drop on MMA fighting in, the, in a minute. And it, it seems like he's still going to be involved loosely, but it, it's not going to be on the road. It's going to be at home. It's going to be in Dagestan. And so when those fighters are around, he'll be at the gym. He'll help them. My guess is he'll still be involved to some extent in game planning and thought processing, but it's just not going to be the day-to-day part of it. And that makes a ton of sense to me because he doesn't need the money. It's, he doesn't need to do this as his job. He's He is financially okay in that regard and so he can focus on the other things he wants to do so uh it'll be a shame if this holds true for like an extended period of time like i said my guess is it's probably a year or two uh before he comes back in some more prominent role as a a coach we see him around cornering uh, a little more often maybe not as much but still more but it'll be a real shame because he's one of the 10 best fighters of all time i think at a minimum that's kind of where you have to put him in the conversation has been a really good coach uh thus far and would have liked to see kind of how long he can sort of carry on 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 his dad's you know his his dad's ideology really so uh but if he needs it for himself you have nothing left to give this sport we're we're good we have taken plenty from you so happy trails and hope to see you back let's say hypoth and hypoth this is a hypothetical because we don't know when this technically starts it seems like from instagram posts and and things that have been reported that this is an immediate thing but not 100 we don't know for sure but let's say hypothetically islam makachev has a big fight with alexander volkanovsky february 11th ufc 284 a fight that Habib helped make happen after Makachev won the belt and beat Charles Oliveira, the post-fight promo, which people who were on the fence immediately got off and they were like, let's do this because Habib did a great job of being the mouthpiece here. Let leads to the face-off, Volk jumping into the cage, and ultimately the fight being made. How much do you feel Habib's absence from like the physical preparation side, like he might be throwing in some game plan ideas from home. Maybe there's FaceTime calls, whatever. How much does this absence from being in the corner in Perth, the fight week stuff, all of it, does this change in any way how you view this fight on February 11th? Nah, I, uh, I also, I have a suspicion he'll be at Perth for this one, just because this one feels big. Right, like this is this is number one versus number two pound for pound. He helped build the fight. It's his hand chosen successor. It's you know Abdul Manap's second best student behind himself. I feel like he doesn't want to do the full prep stuff, et cetera, et cetera. It kind of feels like he's still going to show to Perth um, for this for for that part of it. Uh, even if he doesn't, though, I don't. It doesn't really change my mind about anything. Uh, I don't. I think he's been a very good coach. Uh, I think he's a good coach largely by focusing on simplicity. Like he, he's not reinventing the wheel here. 
he's making his fighters do the things they are are the best at and and finding the best ways to implement those strategies uh think Islam Makhachev probably knows what that is in general <laughs> anyway. Uh, and you still have Javier Mendez and the rest of that crew. His his preparation is still going to be excellent. I, I doubt it drops off without Habib in the camp, frankly. Uh, and I don't think that the tactical adjustments, et cetera, are anything that's outside of the realm of, of pretty clear for what they want to do specifically because they'll probably also still be involved. They'll talk to him and be like, hey, here's what we're thinking. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. So uh, I just – this doesn't change anything. Honestly, if anything, if he doesn't show, the biggest thing this changes is actually a, a benefit theoretically for Islam. And it is, all right, Islam, it's your time. It is your turn to stand on your own two feet entirely because for better or worse, Islam is intrinsically tied to Habib, right? And – Part of his legacy will always be like if here's a thought experiment. If Islam rattles off six lightweight title defenses, it seems very unlikely just given the depth of the division. But let's say he does it by most metrics. He, he if, if you presented the info of him to an outside observer, they'd be like, that's the best lightweight of all time. Pretty clearly one loss, KO loss. Other than that, dominant, most title defense wins, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, MMA fans will probably ultimately come to the decision of Habib's still the best because Habib was better than you and then he walked away to allow you to move into this space. For better, like I said, for better or worse, he is going his entire career has the specter of, of Habib. And we see careers like this of, you know, guys fighting in the shadow of other of other greats that came before them, but it has never been fighting in the shadow of the other great who came before him who was his best friend and training partner since they were seven and, and that, and I don't, I don't know that he can escape it, but for this, if a really does step away and isn't involved anymore, that is going to help Islam create his own legacy still with Habib, you know, involved in the circle. But if, if Habib is the mouthpiece behind him for six title defenses, those pictures will just stick in everybody's mind. Yeah, there's Islam with the belt and Habib right behind him. And it won't this, – this gives him a chance to be his own man. Uh, and I don't know if that went into this at all or, or what, but I do think that the only real change we're going to see from an X's and O's or, or the what specifically happens will be that. Well, either way, we wish Habib Ramaga made up the best. Family comes first and good on him for – Sticking to his guns if this is in fact the direction he takes for a little while or forever. It ruins it ruins my plans, Mike. For the longest time I had been right. I had I had the parallel drawn in my head of Michael Jordan and Habib. And Michael Jordan's dad uh was tragically murdered and he took some time off and he came back. And Habib's dad tragically died and he took some time and he was going to come back and he had three title defenses and he was going to come back and he was going to get the belt and defend it two more times and he was going to walk away and it was just going to be Habib and Michael Jordan and they, they were going to be the two dudes. And now I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, and that kind of sucks from a, from a storytelling standpoint. 
I'm sure AK will hate the fact that you're saying that since he's been driving that train for quite some time now. But AK's train was entirely predicated on Islam losing to Charles. And I tried to tell him from jump. I was like, that's super not going to happen, my man. And it didn't. <laughs> well, I mean, this story will could also affect a piece of our next topic. Heading to the wonderful world of Bellator MMA, Jed Mishu. They have been in the news quite a bit this week. The field has been announced. For their lightweight Grand Prix, it appears all the matchups are now set. We're just waiting on date and location on one of the bouts. But that all began with the news earlier this week that Bellator has re-signed AJ McKee to a multi-year, multi-fight deal to keep him with Bellator for the foreseeable future. Now, I was told, and I know press releases have come out since, he had one fight left after the Satoshi fight during the Bellator versus Rising card, which McKee looked great, and I thought he came off like a star on that card. And to me, right off the bat, Jed, considering the bit of momentum they had to end in 2022, this was a big, big and much-needed start to 2023 for them, was it not? Yeah, man. It's great. Um, the I tweeted this after, and I hope I am wrong, but here is genuinely the first thing I thought was, this is awesome. We knew it was coming. We knew they had mentioned the lightweight Grand Prix. They have the horses for it. It's probably their best division. If 135 isn't, it's one of those two. Um, this is great. And they announced it, and they got all the right names for it too, man. They put the they put the appropriate bodies in this thing. Uh, and so my first reaction was, awesome. Here's Bellator doing the good thing. And then my next one is, man, I hope they don't fuck this up. Because that's the crux of it here. This is I've I have gotten comments from people, some of them who work for Bellator, um, who have been like, hey, uh, you know, we don't think you give us a fair shake, et cetera. We know that you're one of our biggest detractors. Here's the truth, guys. I, I don't want to be. I I think this sport is in a much better position if Bellator is stronger and good and produces a better topic. Sure, it's fun to have somebody to punch down on and make easy jokes at, but I would much prefer it if Bellator was just like a very quality product. My issue with them has always been twofold. Uh, and it, the the biggest issue is that they are just UFC light, and I think that that's a terrible way to brand yourself. Um, PFL has its own thing. One has its own thing. They're doing the multiple mix, the multiple martial arts and thing. And KSW is like, is specifically regional in a very tangible way. And that makes them awesome. Bellator is just the UFC light. They do the exact same stuff. The UFC does. They produce the rankings, which was stupid and really bad fundamentally. And just feels like all they are doing is, trying to copy the UFC, but the UFC's business model only works because they have 90% of the best talent in the world and Bellator doesn't have it. So instead it just kind of makes them look weak. And that's not, that's not optimal for me. The other biggest part of my other big issue outside of that with them is, is what I'm afraid will happen here. They have some good ideas and oftentimes they execute on them. You heard Coker talk on the MMA hour yesterday, you know, uh, about the success of the rise in matchups and that was great and how you know the the opportunity to co-promote with other people i've been calling for that for years i think those are awesome they did a bellator pfl or a bellator one 
hell, Bellator KSW would be sick. It doesn't matter who wins. Those are just moments that are cool. They have these good ideas. The execution starts really strong, and then it just peters out. And some of that's baked into the Grand Prix system, right? Like you start with here are eight fighters, here are four hot shit bouts. This is going to rule. And then you only have two bouts. You have the semifinals. Then you only have one. And so it drops off, and it's hard to carry that momentum. But my great concern is I'm looking at this lineup. I'm like, this is awesome. I love what we're doing here. And in four months when we're done with with the first round – I'm going to feel a little lessened because it's they're not they're not doing things to continue this momentum and this energy and this excitement. I'll be like, hey, those are going to be two sick fights. We're going to get, you know, Nurmagomedov versus AJ McKee. I don't I'm not looking at the brackets right now, so I don't actually know how it's going to shake out. We'll get that in the semifinals. That's going to be a sick fight. I'm really excited to tune in for it. And then eventually we'll get a final and it'll come 18 months later or whatever. And it just feels you've taken this really captivating and fun thing and it is it it takes too long if we're being honest doing a year-long grand prix is more acceptable if you're doing 16 man like grand prix because then there's a there's more of the the stuff to fit in but if it's going to take you a year to host functionally eight fights those aren't it's hard to it's hard to build on that man and i i think that's what's going to happen here there will be a, a moment where i'm like all right this final's cool like whatever the final ends up being, uh, Nurmagomedov versus whoever is uh, is on the other side of the graphic, Tafik or whatever it's going to be, be sick. But that'll be one fight, and then the undercard will not have – it'll just have other Bellator fights on it. So it just won't it, – it's not going to punch the same way. They desperately need to bring back the pick-your-opponent fight show and just find other ways to dress this up and make this appealing so they can build on this momentum of doing cool things because it is great that they are doing this. I want them to continue to execute these sorts of ideas at a much higher clip than they are normally doing. So, yeah, I, I don't know if they, there's an actual bracket out, but we know that Usman Nurmagomedov is going to fight Benson Henderson March 10th. A, we know a that plus. A, that yep. is the exact matchup. I saw other people arguing just do the McKee fight now. No. I, it It's risky to put them on the other side of the bracket to make it be the final like you did with, with Pitbull and McKee, even though you didn't entirely do it because they did their own selection thing. That's risky, but that is the biggest payoff. But this this is undeniably the right opener for them benson henderson versus usman knocked it out of the park there yep tofik Masayev, alexander shabley sick fight sydney outlaw mansar barnwi may 12th in paris location everything else makes sense there and that leaves i mean location is ideal yeah and that leaves kind of the the perfect first round fight for agent mckee we get to keep this momentum going with the rivalry he's gonna fight patricky pitbull tbd on when and where that's gonna happen but there's only two guys left, so they have to fight each other. So that's the field. I like the field. I know Brent Primus is pretty pissed that he's not a part of this tournament, especially that he's the number six ranked guy in the Bellator rankings. He put that out there saying that he was promised to be in the tournament. Now he's not, but that's neither here nor there. But McKee being re-signed, how big was this for Bellator? Because I felt like this was probably your top priority, especially knowing that some of the conversations and interviews he did last year, I know Ariel referenced it on the MMA Hour, some of the things he said in the past about the UFC and some of its talent and wanting to fight there someday. 
how pivotal and how important was this for Bellator just to lock AJ McKee down? You ain't going to free agency. We're going to show you that we feel you're a star. We're going to treat you that way. And I feel like this is exactly what they needed to do to kick off the air. Get him in the news and make a big thing happen with him. That was perfect. I'm I'm glad they did it. I felt that they probably would, but they have seemingly fumbled the bag a couple of times in major ways recently, not getting Kayla Harrison uh, when when that opportunity was on the table. I know PFL matched, but at that point, you just got to say who's got the bigger war chest, get Maker an offer that they can't match. Um, you know, the not getting Jake Paul feels like a huge miss given the Showtime tie-in with them. But, you know, um, th- this one was a, a, a key and pivotal win. And the truth is they have historically been good at this, Like right? Like their, their homegrown talent almost exclusively stays with them, which is part of the thing that I like about Bellator and often give them credit for. They are the best promotion probably in the whole world, frankly, of developing talent. They are the best organization at doing that because they invest heavily in really young fighters who have no nothing there and they keep them largely i mean michael chandler left after 15 years or some absurd absurd length of time they are really good at at retaining their their stars and so i felt largely that they would but agent mckee could have gone wrong and he's the guy that you're building around god love patricio pitbull he is not he is not a star for the next decade. He's got a few more years of the top left in him. Great. You can run that trilogy back at some point. But AJ McKee has 10 more years at the top. It's AJ McKee. It's Johnny Eblen. It's Usman Nurmagomedov. Uh, it's Aaron Pico. That's the that's Vadim Nimkov to some extent, though he's a little older. That's your youth group. And that that's the people you need to invest in and continue to develop while also developing other people. So keeping him is huge. He is going to be the, the standard bearer for this company moving forward because he is a star, because he, he carries himself like a star, and people respond to him in that way. And that's a great signing. Putting him in this tournament's a great idea. They have done a lot of really good stuff to kick off 2023. I have no idea if they're going to be able to build or capitalize on it. But let's let's. I hope they do. Again, I'm not trying to shit on a man. I want Bellator, Bellator to succeed. I just don't. I have. I don't know. I've been around the sport long enough to know that that this first month might be dope. That CBS card might turn out to be pretty good. It's looking okay. And then before you know it, it's March, and we're going to have Peter Queeley headlining a card. And you're just like, oh, all right. That's we're back to this then. Got it. Well, they did announce today that they're going to Paris, and Gegard Mousasi is in the main event against Fabian Edwards. That's a a pretty solid – how do you feel? What? I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I think that fight makes sense, and it's not bad, but it's just like – I just kind of like, ugh. Ugh. I don't know. A fight feels ooh to me. Not that that's that's not on Bellator. I actually think that that's a fine booking. It's just like I don't. That's not. It, that is never a fight that I've thought about. I'm like I would love to see Gegard Mousasi fight Fabian Edward. It's and it, but it's not the same. Where like you know when they announce a fight that you've never thought of, and you're like, oh, that's kind of sick. Like when Max Holloway was supposed to fight Habib Nurmagomedov for the lightweight belt, I was like, I have never once thought about this fight taking place, and yet that fight sounds awesome. That was not my reaction for this fight. Well, 
so far, so good for Bellator. We'll see what happens on May 12th when they head back to Paris. But the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Jed, UFC Vegas 67 coming up in a couple of days. We've already had many shakeups to the card. We talked about Shafkat Rachmanov and Jeff Neal. We talked about our thoughts on they should have just kept Shafkat on the card to just run people over or run somebody over and just get them on television. And then we found out earlier this week on Monday that Sean Strickland is now fighting Nasruddin Imovov at 205. Kelvin Gaslam had it's being it was presented as a mouth injury we've seen videos and pictures and it's gnarly and nasty and and gross stuff uh but sean strickland stepping in to become the first ufc fighter since tito ortiz a long long time ago to compete in back-to-back main events for the ufc so how are we feeling jed first fight night of the year first ufc event of 2023 we get a Sean Strickland main event for the second consecutive card taking on Nasruddin Imovov. It's what the people want. It's what the people I mean, want. How we feel? Where's uh where are we rating the excitement levels right now? Oh, it's pretty low. Um it's pretty Have you had a chance to listen to this week's episode of No Bets Barred? It's a great podcast. That is uh that is what I'm going to be listening to when I get off shift and get ready to get my ass kicked at the gym. Uh-huh. I'm going to spoil uh, I'm going to spoil a piece of it for you here because you mentioned one of my overarching thoughts about this event uh, right at the right at the kick here. We talked about Shavkat. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. Should have just left him on the card to beat the shit out of somebody. Um, also, funnily enough, this ties in with the thing I was just saying about fights that you never thought about, but then you think about him like, holy shit, that fight would be <laughs> fun as hell. If Shavkat hadn't been ruthlessly pulled from this card for no reason, hey, we're at fight week. Sorry, Kelvin Gaslam fell out. Shavkat, you're supposed to just just literally crush this can for, for views. What if we undo that and you just slip in? 185 against Nasruddin Imovov. Doesn't really mean much, not for anything hugely important, but man, what a sick-ass fight is that, Mike? Tell me right now you wouldn't be jazzed to the freaking teeth if it was like, we're about to hit Shaka Rachmanov versus Nasruddin Imovov because I would be lit right now. I My enthusiasm for this card, the rest of the card is not good, but I wouldn't matter because I'd be like, I never expected this, and it's incredible. This is going to be so much freaking fun to kick off the year. Am I wrong? Like, we would all be on board with this, right? I mean, it would be awesome if it actually came together. That'd be but sick. What would make Nasruddin Imovov want to take that fight, though? You think he would just be like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll fight this, this killer. Yeah, why not? Nobody really knows, but, every, but those who do know him know how good he actually is. I don't – I got to say, my read on Nasruddin Imovov is that 
he's pretty willing to just chuck him with whoever's going to be in the cage with the man. This does not appear to be a man who gives too many fucks in life. And so, like, I think that you, they had to pay Sean Strickland because he gave that quote yesterday where it was like, they offered me a bunch more money. So I was like, sure, even though I've been snowmobiling or whatever, like, here you go. Uh, so they just pay him more money. And I think he would just said yes. And instead we have, we now have a main event that I am very whatever on. If, if you're into it, good for you. Um, it's, it's ranked middleweights. So there's something, I guess, but it's just like, I wouldn't be that stoked about this fight. If they had a full camp, Sean Strickland coming in basically off the couch is not, uh, this does not inspire enthusiasm from me, and the rest of the card isn't deep enough. Danny Gay Damon Jackson is a pretty fun fight. Uh, Puna Hill Soriano is fun to watch. Ketlin Vieira Pennington is gonna be a misery, uh, but it's a, it's very it's very relevant, but it's awful. You get to watch Umar do his thing in the best fight of his career against Sahani Barcelos. That's a people's main event. Undercard is hot garbage, but. I, none of that would matter. Like this card, if you not even looking at the main event, this card is like a C minus, uh, and that might even be generous. With the main event, this card is probably either still a C minus or it might even lose some points because I'm just not that interested. <laughs> but if instead the main event is Imovov versus Shavkat Rachmanov in a fight that doesn't doesn't have huge stakes because of the surrounding things, but it's just sick. And it's the first fight we've had in a month. Hell yeah, dude. This would be like a BB plus. Be like, sick. This fight is going to rule. I get to watch Shafkat fight another rising prospect. Even though they're not in the same weight class, it's going to be sick. It's going to be awesome. And that's why you should have left him on the card. Because leaving good fighters to fight on cards creates opportunities for cool shit to happen. Instead of just moving him to March where he's going to fight Jeff Neal. And like that'll be a cool fight, but it's not going to be nearly as sick as it would be if he was saving this card from relevance. That was my overarching thought. I gave that out on Tobet's Bard yesterday. And I was like... I'm a genius. This is the smartest thing. I can't believe nobody else is, is saying this exact thing. That is a fat. I mean, it, look, that's a fascinating fight. By the way, if they did make this awesome. fight. Now I want to see that fight just in life. Now I'm just, I never thought of that before. And I'm just like, I'd love to see Shavkat move up and just see what happens in this battle. You're very high on both guys. I know you're very high on Nasruddin Imovov. So hypothetically, if they made this fight, you're going Shavkat? How are you going with this? think i'm going shavkat but i it's it's a pick em because the size difference would be nasrdinov is i know he fought at welterweight before he's not a small middleweight anymore he's not like a massive massive one but he's not tiny uh i think and just because of how this shakes out right like the the way this broke out he would naturally have a size advantage coming into this fight or into that fight Give him a full camp. I'm definitely going to pick Shavkat, but in the short notice, that gets really fun, really interesting. Well, let's uh, let's mix things up. And, and instead, by the way, we have Sean Strickland, <laughs> which is just like cool. Yeah, funny story about that. I was interviewing Eric Nixick, and his iPad, which he was going to do the interview on, wasn't working, so he had to do it on his phone, which he put on Do Not Disturb. And he kept getting phone calls from somebody who kept pushing through the Do Not Disturb like it was an emergency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. Eric told me it was Sean Strickland who was calling him a million times to get his thoughts on whether or not he should fight Kelvin Gastelum or fight Nasruddin Nemovov. And yeah, it was, it was <laughs> interesting. So that's, that's why, if you watch that interview, we don't mention it. 
but you see Eric like go to the phone a bunch. It's because Sean kept trying to to call him. True story. Uh, so let's let's talk about some news and notes, uh, some things that are on my mind, and then we'll take a few questions from the peeps. So I want to start with UFC 285 since you mentioned Eric Nixick because right now, Jed, we have no main event, we have no title fight, we have no massive fight on the card, and it's January 12th. We are less than two months away from this fight card happening. <laughs> it's the first U.S. pay-per-view of the year for the UFC. It's in Las Vegas. Now, the two fights that seemed targeted, at least rumor and innuendo and people that we've spoken to, were Francis Ngannou versus John Jones and Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Cejudo. Now, Aljamain Sterling on his podcast said that he has a torn bicep. He might need another month before he can fight. March just doesn't seem like it's a possibility. Nothing recently on the Ngano Jones front that, uh, other than what we talked about to end 2022, where things are kind of heading in a good place in terms of renegotiation and getting that fight on the books. Ngano still has not re-signed, and in that conversation with Eric Nixick, you can go watch it right now on this here channel. Says he's optimistic the fight happens the first half of 2023, but he's 50-50. It happens March 4th, not just because of the contract, but. The dude tore his ACL and his MCL, and he's still recovering. Although, their last training session before Ngana went back to Cameroon, now he's going to get his, his visa renewed. Nixick thought he was, they looked great. He was bouncing around. Said, I loved, I missed this S. I'm back. Feeling good. This is what it's all about. And it gave Eric Nixick some energy, too. But besides that, the clock is ticking, Jed. Not much going on that's going to have people wanting to spend 80 bucks on this thing, especially when you got another pay-per-view card, which also doesn't have any title fights officially announced. Two weeks later, what do you think happens March 4th? Like, what would you do? What are we going to do here? Because we're like six weeks away. We have no big fights on this card. Oh, we know what's going to happen here. Look, uh, Ngannou Jones is not happening on this card. That is... I always thought that that was an ambitious plan, and it it just ain't at this point. It's too short. It's just not just not long enough. They're not going to do it. Uh, if it ever happens, I still have a ton of. I will believe John Jones is fighting the, when he walks into the cage. This is not Nick Diaz. I won't believe it three days later. I'll believe <laughs> it when he's walking into the cage. But we did the uh, our our predictions for 2022. You were not on that podcast, so I don't know if you listened to it or not. Um, me, Damon, Jose Youngs, uh, Sheen Ashadi made our future champions predictions for this year. And one, I won't give away who of our panelists predicted. Actually, maybe two predict. No, one of them predicted John Jones to be the heavyweight champion. At which point, I uh, casually noted that. The last time John Jones fought, COVID had was not a thing. So that tells you how long it's been since that man has stepped in a cage. Uh, I just don't believe that's going to – I'll believe it when I see it. It definitely ain't happening in March. What's going to happen in March is it's going to be a Bantamweight title fight. It's going to be for an interim title. It's going to be Henry Cejudo and, and sure, Sean O'Malley. Can't believe that's what it seems like is happening, but that feels like – what is going to happen? Sean O'Malley loves to fight in Vegas. Cejudo, you know, says he's coming back, and it seems like he may actually be. Although maybe the same John Jones rules applies to him. <laughs> I was just but, say, but Aljo is not going to fight. Uh, I also want to be clear. I give Aljo a ton of shit because, frankly, he deserves a ton of shit all the time. Uh, he tore his bicep, man. What are you? What are you going to do? 
he's he's not going to asking him to fight or whatever. It's it's just not not reasonable. It's not going to happen. So Cejudo is going to fight Sean O'Malley. It's going to be for the interim belt. Sean O'Malley gets the headline and pay per view. They get to test run that, see how it looks, uh, because the idea is he will be a star if he manages to win. You've got a unification bout that's going to do huge numbers uh, because Sean O'Malley will be a star if they put an interim title on him. And if he loses, then you've still got a unification bout that won't do with big numbers because no one gives a shit about Henry Cejudo, but it'll be relevant and good and an important fight. So that's what's going to headline. We're probably not going to get a second title fight on it, though, for being real, unless, like, I guess maybe there's a world Amanda Nunes fights Ketlin Vieira on that if Ketlin Vieira can win this weekend they asked her to do a quick turnaround because let's be real it's not like she's going to get hurt in this fight like her and Rocky are going to clinch for 14 of the 15 minutes so if she can win uh maybe they get a quick turnaround and, and they do uh two bantamweight title fights on one card hey listen if, if Henry Cejudo is fighting Sean O'Malley I'm cool living in that world um and I'd be okay with that and then the winner can go fight Aljo and I'm, I'll be convinced now, that Henry's back at least for another fight. I will. There have been a couple of times, but that would be the the one most prevalent in my recent memory of really desperately hoping for a double knockout. <laughs> just is. Do you think the UFC is on the phone with Hamza and his team right now, just being like, "What do you want to do?" Because they need something, man. This ain't enough. This ain't enough. Um, who would Hamza fight? Maybe they're on with Colby. Come on. Maybe they're on with John John Jones gonna fight before Colby does. <laughs> Maybe they're on with Robert Whitaker, who needs a fight right now. A fight would be fun. A fight would be fun. Um I don't know. Probably if they can't get a second title fight, maybe. Maybe they just try and pull Hamzat in. And then here's the thing, dude. It doesn't you don't have to put him in a big fight, just the same Shavkat rules apply. Just put some people on there to beat the shit out of some other people in cool and violent ways, and I'll be stoked. I guess be like, all right, it would be cooler if Hamzad is fighting Alex Pereira for the middleweight belt or whatever, which I guess is on the outside realm of possibility as well. Like, that would be cooler, but, uh, you know, if not, you could just have him fight. Um, let me look at the UFC rankings. UFC welterweight rankings. Uh, Hamza can fight. Oh, who's Neil Magny fighting? Is he fighting Gilbert Burns? Yeah. Fuck that fight. Neil Magny, <laughs> Hamza, do that. I, that fight is beneath Gilbert Burns, frankly. Um, and Neil Magny has like been one of the most adamant people calling for Hamza. Do that shit. That'd be fine too. There's you just got to put some good people on the card and. You need something. We just headlined a fight card or a pay-per-view with Magomed Ankalaya versus Jan Blahovich for uh, maybe the most paper title of all time. They, you don't need much to do it. Uh, I, I think it's going to be O'Malley, Cejudo, but you know, any of those would work. What's, what's Alex Pereira doing? You don't have to run back, is he? Alex Pereira can fight Robert Whitaker. Do that. That's fine too. That's not a bad idea either. Um, and who knows? We if we test out your theory and just throw Hamza on the card with oh any random God. welterweight, what what could we possibly get? What if some, I, what if Jeff Dale can't go? Then maybe by by Tetrisy movements, maybe we can get Hamza versus Shafkat. 
I mean, that would be awesome. By accident. Um, but that, I want that fight to be five rounds and for a belt, but I would I'd take it anyway and get it. I actually have solved it. I figured out what is, <laughs> what's going to do it, Mike. I can't believe it took me this long. Here's the answer. Um, so next week we have a light heavyweight title fight. We know how those have been going. <laughs> Something real dumb is going to happen. And we're not going to have a champion. And so we, you know, 284 is covered. We're set on title fights there. We're going to take Anthony Smith, who lost his opponent, Jamal Hill, and is now in the ether, doesn't have anybody. He's going to fight. I'm trying to look at the rankings. Uh, man, light heavyweight is a dumpster fire. Is Rackets ready to come back? I don't know. Do we know uh, Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rackage for the vacant light heavyweight title. That's an option. Uh, Paul Craig. Sure, he's coming off loss. Who cares? Throw him in there. It'll be a good time. So we've got plenty of choices, Mike. Plenty of plenty of opportunity. A lot. We'll see what happens. Maybe by next Saturday uh, during the watch party, UFC 283 watch party, we oh. will have some answers to this March 4th question. But uh, this top is, ten, oh, go ahead. This is why they need more belts, not divisional belts. Who gives a shit? Like, Let's be real. Most people don't even care about like half of the champions at this point. Like it's just, it doesn't mean much to them, but this is why I've called for years for them to just do fun belts. The, the Eddie Alvarez fighting Justin Gaethje for the violence championship of the world should have created a violence belt and there are stipulations or rules, and that's just there. And then fighters can fight for the violence belt, and it has nothing to do with the actual title in whatever division. It's just a violence belt, and it's awesome. And they could put the violence belt on. Just make a fun belt. Make any kind of other belt, an intercontinental belt, whatever you want to do, just pick two dope fighters, put them together and be like, here's the belt you're going to fight for. You'll be our inaugural champion. It'll be awesome. Love it. Uh, Tatiana Suarez, the layoff is apparently over. Returning February 25th to fight Montana De La Rosa, flyweight fight. Thoughts of the return in that matchup in particular. Are you excited for Tatiana Suarez's return? I don't know if we should be like, I, who knows? She looked awesome five years ago when she fought because while John Jones has been out before COVID Tatiana Suarez has been out before. Like, I don't know. There are like first graders who were not born when Tatiana Suarez last was fist fighting professionally. So I don't, that's such a long layoff. I've no idea what she's going to look like. Uh, don't, no, I, honestly, kind of. It's hard to even remember all that much what she looked like at the time. It's been so long. Uh, you know, if if she is back to to the form that she was at, that's gonna be great because at the time she looked like a no doubt about it title challenger and maybe just maybe like an actual future champion. She is four or five years older now, coming off several issues long term that that sort of made this. I think this is the right kind of matchup to get her back back into the water, see what she looks like, see where we go from here. She looks great. If she doesn't look like there's been any time off, if, if she looks better, she's still young, she's 32. Like she could have just been improving the whole time. And if she does, then fast track her because there, there's not a, no time to waste. Get this woman fighting in a contender bout, make this happen immediately. But, you know, 
I it's hard for me to be excited about anybody fighting coming off a four or five year layoff. I think this is the perfect fight because Montana will test her. I know Montana's record isn't the greatest, but she is competitive in pretty much every single fight she's in. Uh, finds a way to make it ugly, and I think it's a I think it's perfect matchmaking. Excited to see how that plays out. One more before we'll take a few questions. Uh, Rafael Fazeev, Jed, said in an interview recently that the UFC is working on a fight, speaking of violence titles, between him and Justin Gaethje for March. Is this the right fight? I feel like the way we've looked at lightweight, this one probably uh, scratches you right where you itch. This fight would rule. I don't know if this is the quote-unquote right fight. Uh, I will never say a bad word about this fight being made if it gets made because... Rafael Fazeev is incredibly fun, and Justin Gaethje is, at the absolute worst, the second most fun fighter in the history of this sport. So, and like he's almost in, in my book, he's a runaway favorite. But like, I am willing to hear an argument for one other person. So, like, I, I'll watch Justin Gaethje fight me. I'll watch him fight a mop. I'll watch him fight a tree. Doesn't matter who he's fighting. And if instead he's going to be fighting a dude who is also very fun to watch, then that's great. Uh, my question is what, if I'm trying to nitpick this, it's just what does this mean for everybody else? How, what, what are the ripple effects here? Because if Fazeev wins this, you know, Gaethje's number three in the world uh, in the UFC's rankings. I think he's somewhere pretty similar in ours actually um Fazeev on a hell of a run beat a former champion net, then he would now have a win over a former interim champion and one of the top guys in the division he doesn't need to do anything else to earn a title fight what is does he get one because Benny Dariush is around as much as many people I think the UFC being one of them would like him to not be around he is around so what does that shape out if he wins, if this fight gets booked and he wins this fight? Or conversely, if Gaethje wins this fight, he himself is the former interim champion coming off a fight of the year and a win over a top 5'10 guy in Michael Chandler, slash for, also a former title challenger. Now he's beating one of the new hot shit guys. Look, God love Benny Dariush, but if Gaethje comes here and beats Fazeev, that's he probably has a better argument for a title fight than Benil Dariush. I know Benil Dariush on an eight-fight win streak. I'm not off the top of my head. Those names aren't as good as what Gaethje beat, has beaten already. You know, like they both beat Ferguson. One dude stopped him and one dude did not. It's it's just I, if, if Gaethje gets his fight and wins, it feels like he should have a crack at Islamakachev or Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, so it, and then what happens to Dustin Poirier? Dude wants to fight, but he only wants to fight a certain kind of person. Justin Gaethje always made the most sense for me that they, as much as I hate the squatting thing, they just run that back because no one would be upset about them running that fight back. Um, and they're both of an elevated status that it would make sense. But uh, so that's my questions are what are the ripples? But if, if I'm not, if I'm just, Hey, what's fun? What's cool? Hell yeah. That fight rules. Yeah, I, I would say they'd probably just do Fazeev Poirier if he won maybe in you July. Think, you, and think, you think Poirier's going to take that fight? If he beats Justin Gaethje and it's a fun-ass fight, yeah, I think he would. I think he would. Maybe. 
Yeah. I mean, for a while, Gaethje was like, nah, not really into the physique thing. But now he's like, all right, yeah, it makes sense. Once, I mean, dude's super fun and that would get super Corey fun excited. If he, if he wins, but yeah, I don't know, maybe. And then poor, yeah, poor but, Benny, poor Benny, eggs Benny, just going to be sitting yeah. on the sidelines forever. Hell, maybe he fights Charles Oliveira. So Oliveira says March or April, he wants to come back. So maybe I mean, get, that get him in there and check the olives. That would be good. As a man who's holding a plus 4,000 ticket on Fazeev to be champion by the end of the year, uh, it would Love be that. awesome if he fought uh, Justin Gaethje. That would be help. That would help my betting odds a lot, I think. So I, I will say this uh, from conversations I have had. Uh, there is smoke to this fire. This is not just a fighter saying things. Uh, there are discussions happening about putting this fight together. Uh, they're targeting March 4th or March 18th. One of the two pay-per-views is what I'm being told. It's just getting everybody on board and figuring out exactly when this fight could happen. But uh, to say it's like done. pay-per-views in March. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. To say this fight's like done or like agreed upon would be way too premature. But there are definitely discussions happening. This fight is... The UFC wants this fight to happen. I can tell you that right now. So, all right, let's take a couple questions from the peeps who have stuck with no us. No more squatting. No more squatting. <laughs> no more squatting. No more squatting. <laughs> Here's Mr. Thirty Twenty Four. Uh, let's take. Let's take uh, maybe three. We'll see. All we'll right. see how they go. Uh, Only if they're good, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got to pick three good ones now. That's that's a tough one. Um, hmm. Dude, the lightweight top, the UFC's lightweight top 10 is so sick. <laughs> I did like this Or top 15 is awesome. Uh, referring back to the beginning, you're talking about, no, Dana, he can't, no, he can't take time off because the company would fail or something like that. So I like this question. <laughs> what does Dana actually do? Dana is, good question. Dana's the face. He's the face of the company. He's the face of the company. Hunter Campbell. Hunter Campbell is what people like outside of the sport think Dana actually is. Like he's the one. Hunter Campbell's the one that gets all the deals done. He's the one that gets the contracts out there. He's the one that negotiates. Like when Francis Ngannou is negotiating his contract, maybe Dana will like go to dinner with Francis just to be the face. But they're talking a hunter. Like Hunter's the guy that gets the business done. And VX is a nose man. Yeah. Dana does content and he promotes in certain ways. And and here's here's the issue I have with the the business falls apart without him. This this isn't the same Dana White from 2010. Like he's been checked out of the promoter business to most of the extent for a long time. Now, if you just became a fan. When right around the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather fight and you saw the excitement in Dana pumping up Conor, like that's the guy that was promoting UFC fights in like 2007, 2008, all the way up. And then he kind of checked out when the sale happened. You got a little piece of that back. And since then, just more of the same. He's there to answer questions. He's the face. He's the face of the company more than anything else. Um, But he doesn't. He doesn't make the fights. Matchmakers are there to make the fights. Hunter's the one putting the deals together. Dana is just the face behind the brand more than anything else. Even more simply, I, I think most of that's really true. Um, 
that that's his certainly his most impactful. Uh, if you've ever worked in any corporate America, he, Dana is Dana is a president in the same way that every every he is he does exactly what every other president does, which is not a lot, but a, kind of a lot. He's the one who overall dictates the strategy. Ultimately, the buck stops with him. He is the one who gives the yes or no to thing, but that doesn't end up work. Like that's not a nuts and bolts process because that's not how functional businesses work. He dictates the overall, he drives the ship. Here is where our ship is going to go and everybody else makes it, makes it so functionally. And that's it. So that's part of why it always rung super, like his, this ring super hollow of, well, no, like you are not all, I, you're not involved in anything in the day to day that like is, is critical. Like the critical ops of the UFC will not suffer in any fashion it may at the absolute worst if you suspended six months a year they would pro they would adjust very quickly to fill a the fill that role be it hunter campbell or sean shelby or whoever at the top shelf would just assume the presidential duties this so there might be like some transition period but ultimately it's the same stuff it's like all right well we our product rolls is a machine that moves here it is now let's talk about our bigger goals and targets. Where do we, what are we looking at from a business standpoint on our future partnerships, deals, where we want to go? Um, how how is our relationship with ESPN working? Uh, the renewal that will come in a few years. How does that look? Are we going to shop around? What do we think is the ideal number of stuff? It's just bigger. It's bigger strategy discussions. Like that's he is just the ultimate guidepost there, and then he does social media promotion. So it's. None of that is is irreplaceable. It's all imminently replaceable. Certainly yeah. for an extended period of time. If his argument was if you fire me, the company will will fail or will suffer, I don't believe that is true, but that is a much more valid argument than if I am suspended for some period of time, people will suffer. Because like that is at least a, a fundamental change to structure of all right, well. He's gone, the guy who's led us for 30 years. Now we might have a new vision atop this. That is different than, well, we're, we just have somebody holding the wheel for a, a year, six months, a month, whatever it is. That's, yeah. Yeah, the machine will roll. John Anakin hosts the press conferences. He did many of them last year. David Shaw could do the post-fight press conferences. Shaw, up yeah, to Shaw's been doing them. Yeah. So you're good. People forget you're Dana had like a big stretch where he just didn't show up to shit because he didn't want to do it. It's fine. It's the same way like, well, if Joe Rogan isn't in the booth, the sport will suffer. No, it's fine. More people will step up because that's how things work. Yep. I agree. Um, all right. Enough of that. Let's talk about this awesome man. Views on Shafkat and his potential, Jed. I mean, his potential is champion. Um, I, I think he probably at some point holds the title. My guess, he is my pick to be the next long-reigning welterweight champion. I would pick Hamzat to beat him in a, in a fight this year. Um, if Hamzat fights at welterweight moving forward, I still think he's going to do it. I think he's put in too much time. I think he can make the weight even if it is challenging. I think he is going to check the box to get that, and he will win the welterweight title this year. 
I think he is. I I, I believe as my kind of we caliente take to to steal one from you, Mike Heck, and and on to the next one. Great program. Make sure to listen. Uh, I have predicted that he that Hamza wins the welterweight title, and then immediately moves up and wins a middleweight title uh, by the end of this year. And when that happens, he will never go back to welterweight again because uh, it's going to be hard for him to continuously make that weight. And I think Shavkat is the most logical dude to step in and control that division for you know a few years. So I think his his potential is near limitless, and. At the bare minimum, he will fight for a belt. I, I think he's going to win it and hold it for a couple, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the the fighting potential. That's for sure. We'll see how his personality kind of translates over the over the years. And I don't think like there's a lot of people. Like he's when got a funny up, hat. Like, that's all that matters. That's it. Exactly. I was going to say a lot of people are like, well, you know, not speaking English kind of holds him back, but it's just selling it holds him back in these aspect of life. Casey, if you just walk around with a funny hat, you're doing okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like let's be, let's be real. How much of Donald Cowboy Cerrone celebrity is that he was fun? Like Cowboy Cerrone is famous because he put on dope ass fights. He fought five times a year and he wore a cowboy hat and his name was Cowboy. And that's it. It kind of didn't matter what else he said. He he was at least like he he has charisma so that certainly helped. But if you just gave me those three things, like that dude's going to be a star in this sport because people love hats. Habib had a hat. Just saying. (laughs) People loved Habib's hat. They loved it. Dude, the papaka is awesome. Like Shavkat's got a funny hat. It's going to succeed. When I was in um, Abu Dhabi for when Habib fought uh, Poirier, um, that was really the only merch I saw being sold, which just – Oh, uh, had to be pockets. a million of them though. Yeah, that was all. It, was, it wasn't like UFC gear. It was just like buy a Habib hat. It was awesome. I almost never buy merch. I would buy – like if I had went to a Habib event, I would have bought uh, the Habib Pavaka. Like that's – it's like, um, and I would buy right. the shit out of shop got that. That's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. What is it? A wolf? And the, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Jeez. And, and, and you know, yeah, you know, he, um, he, yeah, he, he got that wolf. He didn't, he didn't go, he didn't order that on Amazon. He, he paid the iron price for that wolf. Yeah. yeah. He All looked, right, he uh, just looked at the wolf. He didn't even touch it. He just looked at it and the wolf just <laughs> the fell wolf, down. The wolf was just like, here, take my head. <laughs> Out of respect. Uh, all right, last question. Last question. Um, debatable, but I want you interested in hearing your opinion on it. Uh, my question is this week's main event a case where the new main event is better than the first main event? No. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I just, I, I, like. Say what you will about Calvin Gaslam. Like, if you listen to the well, is, is ranking show, rank higher than Gaslam, isn't he? Right, yeah, it definitely is. Definitely okay, so is. I'm, right from a rankings perspective, right? But again, we're, we're we're talking about a guy who, if you follow him on Instagram, has been just riding motorcycles and snowmobiles and and living life as he should. And I'm not knocking with that. I'm sure he was training, getting in the gym, and sparring a bit. Like, I'm sure that happened. Um, but this is five days' notice. And say what you will about Kevin Gaslam. If you listen to the ranking show airing of grievances, I have a big problem with anybody ranking Kevin Gaslam in their. Some top people 15. are. Some people yeah. are. Yeah, I have an issue with that. However, from a stylistic perspective, 
I felt like the Gasolum fight would have answered a lot of questions I have about Nasruddin Imovov moving forward. This fight in particular doesn't do that for me because I feel like I know, I feel like we know what we're going to get for 25 minutes. They're going to get in there and Strickland's going to throw volume and Imovov's going to throw back. And I don't think there's going to be a ton of wrestling. I don't think there's going to be a lot of takedowns in this fight. I think what we're going to see is a probably slightly more exciting version of what we saw in December when Strickland fought Cannoneer. I do think Imovov presents some different, some different striking discrepancies that Cannoneer doesn't. I think, I don't think he'll have an issue pulling the trigger and throwing something big and trying to change the complexity of the fight. I also don't think Strickland's going to take a ton of risk in this fight. Like, I don't think he's going to go after him like he did Alex Pereira. I don't think that happened. So I just don't, I feel like this will be, sir, it would be a big win for Imovov. Strickland's a good name to have on the resume. No doubt about that. But I feel like from looking at the future of this guy and the questions that I have about him, we would have learned more about him on a full camp with a full camp, Kelvin Gasolum than a five day notice up a weight clash on Strickland. That's the way I see it. So Strickland's an interesting name, makes things a little more compelling depending on how you look at it because Strickland gets to speak into live microphones and you can feel however you want about that. But from an actual fight standpoint, it's great, man. I felt like I feel like Imovov Gasolum is the more compelling fight. I agree almost 100% with what Mike said. Um, I look from a media day standpoint, no, Kelvin Gasolum is not an interesting individual. Um, and Sean Strickland, love him or hate him, and or both, because I, I'm pretty firmly in the both camp with Sean Strickland. I want to hate him, man. I want to hate him because I – He's probably like actually just a bad person um, and certainly in many ways carries himself as a person that I fundamentally hate. But he is so fascinating that it's hard to to dislike him when he talks. Uh, It's still incredibly funny when he just walks at Alex Pereira with his hands down. Uh, But it's also incredibly funny. Dude, did did you listen to his media scrum yesterday? It is – the most insane shit it is and it's it's hilarious he is uh, he is the best guy with the live mic in front of him because he went off on these terrible tangents like he just rambled forever in like a tony ferguson but without the weird ninja turtle stuff in the glasses it was just and he was like yeah i have add it's so here and but he always gets back he never was like i'm sorry re-ask the question he was like they asked him they asked some question about well how did this happen and then he starts goes off this story and then he's like but that story what you could see how the brain connected it you could see i was like i need to tell you this piece because it explains my answer but it, he gets so lost in the sauce that you're a mile down the road and you're like, what the fuck are we doing here? And then he's like, and so now that I've told you this to get back to your question, here's the actual answer. And it is unbelievable. He He's talking about Nasruddin Imovov and he goes to the – the sort of like the dumb American trite thing about how the French are cowards and quitters and like plays to that, which is just if if you asked me what Sean Strickland's thoughts about Nasruddin Imovov would have been in the dark, it would have been like, 
Well, I, I bet he calls him a French coward. <laughs> and I like, so he, true to form, it was brilliant. The guy not, not born in France or raised. No, no, yeah. no, but no, French coward. But then he's like, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe he's different. Maybe he wants to do this. And then, because earlier, <laughs> earlier he had, he was, Oscar Willis was there or something. So he, he made some comments about the, somebody asked him because he was in this ramble and every, you could tell. All the people there were just along for the ride. We were everyone was enjoying it. Somebody made like a joke about uh, as a cultured man. I'm pretty, you obviously have read the Prince Harry book that came out, and he was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And then somebody else explained it to him and was like, uh, "Prince Harry got frostbite on his penis," and then he like <laughs> comments about that. Uh, this all happened, by the way. Go watch the video; it's on UFC's YouTube. <laughs> He comments about that and then he talks about like he has his disdain for the monarchy in England. And so then Oscar Willis, after the Nasser Dean stuff, is just like, who do you hate more, the French or the English? At which point he launches into a five-minute speech about how he was in jail when he was 18 or 19. And he he actually likes the French because, swear to God, this is the story. I like the French. I got arrested, bullshit charges, but it was a felony. My lawyer was like, yeah, you're going to go to jail for like three years. And sometimes I think about it. I'm like, if I went to jail for three years, I probably would have come out a white supremacist. And then he launches into a story about some interactions while he was in jail waiting for this all to resolve itself with some Aryan Brotherhood members. And he's like, yeah, so uh, – but back to answer your question, I love the French because when all this was happening, I signed up. I was going to go sign up to be a member of the French Foreign Legion, and I was going to skip town because I didn't want to go to jail. So I love the French. And it was the most incredible, insane thing that Calvin Gaston could never dream of providing that much joy and entertainment to me. So – and, and maybe that's why I like Sean Strickland, because you just heard me ramble incessantly to get back to my crux of the point, uh, which was you he is a fascinating – I did. He's a fascinating <laughs> dude, and I can't help – dude, that press conference before the Pereira fight was just electric. And sure, oftentimes he says stuff that's terrible and and some of it like actually like really bad and some of it just like, uh, come on, be better. But he is captivating in a way Kelvin Gaslam isn't. Until they get in the cage. Sean Strickland is not an interesting fighter uh, in really any regard. And particularly on short notice, it's not going to be that fun. Whereas Kelvin Gaslam, you, I couldn't knock that dude out if you gave me a baseball bat. So Nasser Nenimovov's kind of style of jabs and explosion, I don't, I don't know how that looks over five rounds against a dude he can't finish and can't really hurt and probably can't really out-wrestle. And so it just it – that was a, a fascinating stylistic matchup. This is a better rankings one, and it gave us a much better media day, like a much better media day. But no, it's overall the worst thing. And I strongly <laughs> encourage all of you to go listen. It's like a 15-minute media scrum, and I didn't – there was no moment of it where I was like, I would like to pause this or leave. I was like, I don't – I genuinely have no idea what word he is going to say next. It could be anything. So captivating. Well, there you go. All right. I think we're, uh, we are good. I'm so here. glad we got to talk about that because I've been thinking about Strickland's media day all day. It's like, well, this guy's insane. The good news is, uh, you can hear Jed and I's thoughts about UFC Vegas 67 a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, we will have a live preview show on this here network at 3 PM Eastern. So stay tuned for that. And we'll talk all things UFC Vegas 67. I believe, uh, Jose Young's will actually be there. So 
it'll be a you know almost like a pay-per-view-ish kind of coverage night uh for the ufc event uh with post-fight interviews and all that fun stuff press conferences etc and looking forward to actually trying to get back to some sense of normalcy uh when it comes to covering the ufc and covering fights i don't think at this day and stuff's going away anytime soon but i one thing i do agree with that event will be about the fighters and about the fights and we're not going to stop obviously covering that because they deserve to be covered so that's what we're going to do uh if you're looking for us to cover dana white's power slap league uh you can go somewhere else because that ain't going to happen so stay don't stay tuned for that shameless that they are still doing that yeah because we ain't touching that with a five trillion foot pole but in the meantime we'll see you all tomorrow you can hit the music uh and we'll see you all back here next week to recap ufc vegas 67 get you ready for the first ufc pay-per-view of the year ufc 283 and ksi is fighting this weekend i forgot all about that phase temper not dylan danis what a shocker it was We'll see you next week, everybody. Big shout out to Casey on the ones and twos. For Jed Bashu, I am Mike Eck. Back next Thursday right here on Between the Links. Good night, everybody. Love you guys. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.